I hope that you've had a great week. Um, today we're going to finish up uh, the series that we've been working through uh, dealing with the issues of marriage. And what we've done is we have went back to the Old Testament and we have been looking at various marriage relationships over the past several weeks. Um, but today to start things off, what I want to do is I want to ask you a question. Uh, and here's the question. Let's say that um, let's say that that I were to come to you prior to you being married, and let's say that um, the person that you were in love with, what happens if I were to come to you prior to the marriage, and I were to look you in the eye, and I were to say to you without a shadow of a doubt, this is what I know: the person that you're about to marry, I know, will not be faithful to you. How would you respond to that? How would you how would you respond to that? That if you were to know up front that the person that you were about to marry to, to, to engage in a covenant of marriage, to say till death do part, what happens if I were to tell you prior to the marriage celebration that that person, without a shadow of a doubt, would, would not be faithful to you? What would you do? That's going to be a key question for us because that's exactly what the Lord told Hosea uh, to do. Uh, that's exactly what what happened in the relationship that Hosea had with Gomer, and that's the relationship we're going to be looking at today. But over the past several weeks, what we've done is we've looked at the marriage relationship between uh, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah, and what we said during that time was that so many times we go into, into life thinking that marriage is the goal, but marriage isn't the goal. And in addition, what we learned in that, in that week was that uh, our value who we are and our worth, our self-worth, cannot be determined by the person that we are married to, but it should only be determined by our relationship with the Lord. And then we went and we looked at the relationship between Jezebel and Ahab, probably one of the worst, one of the worst marriage relationships that we see in the Bible. And we made reference to the nagging, uh, the nagging, negative, nasty woman, but that really wasn't what we were talking about that Sunday. What we were talking about was the role that, that we play as men in the, in the family. What we said is that men have the role of playing protector and provider, and that's culturally acceptable. But in addition to that, there's also some other expectations that the Bible gives us, that of being prophet, the mouthpiece of God within the home, as well as that of being uh, the pastor, the shepherd. And we went back and we looked at the book of Jeremiah, and where Jeremiah made reference to the shepherds uh, being led astray, and as a result, the sheep had been scattered. And I, and I just... As I read that, I thought about where we are as families today and the fact that we aren't, as men, following through with the role that we have to play prophet and, and pastor shepherd within our homes. And as a result, our children and our families are, are being scattered and there's so much destruction that's going on today. And then last week, we looked at the relationship between Abraham and Sarah. And we asked, and we said this, when life don't go as planned, how should we respond? There are several ways that we do respond. Number one, sometimes we run out of we just we just run out of fear. We get afraid and we run. The second thing, sometimes we just go ahead and we get ahead of God. And the third thing is sometimes we just throw our hands up and we say, "I quit." When things don't go as planned, I just quit. But the reality is, when things get tough, it's not time to run away from God, but it's time to run to God. But today, what we want to do is we want to we want to look at the marriage relationship between Hosea. Uh, and Gomer. And what we've, what we've said throughout this series has been, Lord, would you bring some things to our minds that might be helpful to us um, as we live out our marriage relationship, or if there are those that are here that are looking to get married, what are things, Lord, that you might point me to, some truths of your word that might help me out 
as I prepare for marriage. And so what we want to do today is we want to go to this passage of Scripture found uh, in the book of Hosea. This can be a really difficult, hard book to find, but it's back in what we call the Old Testament. It's between the book of Daniel and Joel. And um, this marriage had every reason in the world to have ended in divorce, but it didn't. It didn't. It was about 760 years before Jesus was, was born. A man by the name of Jeroboam II was king in the northern kingdom of Israel. And this is about some 40 years prior to the northern kingdom collapsing, um, where Samaria would be destroyed. Um, but at this time, and in, in this time in, in history, there were things were going pretty good. Um, but something that we find in, in our own lives is that when things are going well, uh, there seems to be a, always a decrease in dependency on the Lord. You know, you get a little money in your pockets and the stresses seem to slow down and all of a sudden when we were really dependent on the Lord, so those things begin to wane. And it was during this time that there was there was a moral and spiritual and spiritual decline. And it was during this time that God raised up a prophet by the name of Hosea and he would have him speak to the people about their, their idolatry and their spiritual adultery and their sinfulness. And God's going to ask Hosea today to do some very, very difficult things. So I want us to pay really close attention. But why don't you turn to the book of Hosea and let's look at chapter 1 there, verse 2, and let's read as we walk through this time together. When the Lord first began speaking, is what it says in chapter 1, verse 2, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. So here's the Lord. Get a load of this. He, he, uh, the Lord commanding Hosea to marry a woman that he knew that would be unfaithful to him. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I sort of scratch my head and think, Lord, now, I don't think I heard you correctly. You wanted me to do what? Uh, You've got to be kidding. Uh, now, why in the world would you want me to do such a thing? And the Lord told him why. As he continued on there in verse 2, he says, I want you to understand that this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So I want you to think about this a moment. Here's the Lord telling this young prophet to go and marry a prostitute. Uh, I, I don't know what would, would have been going through Hosea's mind, but I can tell you exactly what I would have been thinking. And here up front, God told Hosea right up front that, listen, I want you to understand that this woman that you're about to marry, she's going to be unfaithful to you. And she's going to cause you an awful lot of pain. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint a picture. I want to paint a visual to show how, how my people, my people have treated me. I mean, let's, let's put this thing in, 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 in sort of a contemporary setting if you want to look at, this, look at it this way. Let's say you've got a young man that senses God's call to ministry and he loves the Lord. And, and let's say that God speaks to him one day and he says, listen, I want you to go marry Susie. Um, and you say, well, Lord, you have to be mistaken because, um, Lord, Susie's a, she's a young girl with a reputation. Well, I know she is. And the Lord says, but I want you to go marry her. Well, Lord, why in the world would you want me to go marry Susie? And, and the Lord says, well, I want you to marry her. But I want you to understand this. Even though I want you to marry her, I want you to, to, to understand and grasp that Susie's not going to remain faithful to you. She's going to become bored. She's going to get dissatisfied with your relationship. And she's going to disappoint you. As a matter of fact, she's going to hurt you very, very deeply. And she's going to step outside that covenant of marriage. But I really want you to marry her. And as difficult as that seems to us and as uncomprehensible, that's exactly what Hosea did. He did exactly what the Lord told him to do. Exactly. And so in verse 3 it says, He married Gomer, uh, the daughter of Deblom. Uh, and we don't know anything else about um, Gomer's father except um, that this was his name. 
And God is going to use Hosea's faithfulness and his love and his commitment to Gomer to, Gomer to show her to show just how much he loves us. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Here's a man that has a daughter that's probably, not probably, she is um, promiscuous. And here's a father, and along comes this young man that God has called, and he's a prophet, and he speaks on behalf of the Lord. And here he comes in and he says, listen, I'd like to marry your daughter. I wonder what that man would have thought about Hosea. He would have said, man, he's going to save my daughter. He, he's coming to rescue her, and that's exactly what Hosea's name meant. It meant salvation. And that would have been exactly what her father would have thought when, when the prophet Hosea would have asked for her hand in marriage. I, I don't think there's any way that Hosea could completely understand what God was asking him uh, to do until later when he would look back. But man, it was so clear that God was involved the whole time guiding him as, as he walked through faith and trusting God in, in his plan. And the scripture goes on to say this. It said, And she became pregnant. She gave uh, Hosea a son. Verse 4, And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence, and I will break its military power in Jezreel Valley. And so here, God would use the prophet's marriage to teach the nation of Israel. But God would also use the children that would be born, and he would give them a name, and those names would speak loudly to the Israelites. And I don't know how you chose your children's names, but when, when Meredith and I uh, chose our kids' names, they, would, they had reminders to us. Our, our daughter Abby, our firstborn, um, and all of our children were named after biblical characters, but our daughter Abby uh, meant, uh, meant Abigail, and, and it would, in the Bible it means my father's joy. And that every time that I would see her, somebody else would call her name. I wanted it to be a reminder, Meredith and I, that, that, she, that we had prayed for her for a long time and that she was a blessing from God and that she was her father's joy. And so here's God telling Hosea, I want you to name this son Jezreel, the Lord sows. Um, and that he would name him after a great plain in the northern kingdom, which was really a battlefield. And Jezreel was also the name of a city. Uh, that stood at the end of that plain. And it's it's a place where Ahab had his palace, and it's, it's where Jezebel and, and he committed so many mur murders. I remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, uh, Jezebel and Ahab, and, and we said that uh, this is where Naboth had a vineyard, and it was that place, Jezreel, where they killed Naboth. Um, you can go back and find that if you want to in 1 Kings chapter, chapter 21, verse 20. And... Uh, and the Lord sent Elijah to Ahab at that time, and he said, listen, I want you to understand, and he prophesied to Ahab and to Jezebel that all their male descendants would be destroyed. And guess what? It was in that place, Jezreel, where that would happen. And you go back and look at, at 2 Kings chapter 10, and you can read those stories. But that's, that's exactly what Jezreel meant to the people of Israel. It was a constant reminder of death. It was a constant reminder of, of sin and the, and the importance of turning back to God. And uh, it's a reminder of God's punishment for sin and also a reminder that Israel would lose its power and they would be scattered. And that's exactly what would happen a few years later. And so after Jezreel was born, there was a daughter that was born. And that daughter, um, read here in verse 6 with me, it said, Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, Name your daughter Laruhamah, not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. But I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies. No, not with weapons, with armies or horses and charioteers, but by my power as the Lord their, their God. 
in the northern kingdom, the the the, Isra the Israelites had been separated um, in the to the north and the south, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And there were ten tribes in the northern kingdom, and there were there were two tribes in the southern kingdom, Judah, Israel, and Judah. Um, there were 19 kings, and out of those 19 kings in the northern kingdom, zero of those kings were known uh, to be good kings, zero of them. And so here is this second child being born, and it was a girl, and God would name her Laruhamah, which meant without pity, not pitied or without compassion. And up until this, up until this time, God had been so compassionate, compassionate towards his people, even though the fact that they had disobeyed him and they had walked away from him, but now God's compassion had run out. And it was like raising a child and teaching them right from wrong. And, and you know, you raise them up and you, you teach them the difference between right and wrong. But they continue to disobey and they continue to rebel. And you still love them. But one day, you know, they turn 18 years old. They make a mistake. And, and you're waving to them as they're being towed away in the back seat of a, of a police car. And that's the fact, it's not the fact that you don't love them. But it is what it is. You love them. But, I mean, there's a price that has to be paid. And Laruhama would remind, would be a reminder that God's patience had been exhausted. And then there was a third child, verse 8, after Gomer had weaned Laruhama, she became pregnant again and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, name him Luami, not my people. For Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. And Luami, which means no kin of mine, not related to me. And all of a sudden we begin to hear God's heart. Um, here his people have rejected him over and over and over again. And, and if you're in a marriage relationship where you've been betrayed, you might feel some of the same same pain that God was expressing as his children were committing spiritual adultery and, and worshiping other gods. And you know, we read these things and we go, how in the world could God, God reveal his emotions in such a way? I mean, how could God, I can't believe that God would express himself in this way. And I guess the response should be, how should we expect God to feel? I mean, do you just expect God to say that what the people in Israel were doing wasn't that really that big a deal? I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, let's say that what if your spouse were to betray you? Would you just say it's not really that, that big a deal? You bet it's a big deal. And man, here God is angry and God is hurt and he's jealous and he has every right to be because he's God and he doesn't want just part of us, but he wants all of us. See, I mean, think of it in this relationship. Let's say you're in the marriage relationship. Do you look at your wife and say, I just want you on Sundays. You, you know, somebody else can have you the other six days of the week. I mean, just give me Monday, Monday Tuesday, Wednesday, and you can have uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You can have the rest of the week. Somebody else can have you that week. That's, that's so far from the truth. It's not, not the fact that God just, doesn't, um, God just doesn't want our hearts one day a week, but he wants our hearts 24-7. I got so caught up in this passage trying to, to look at, you know, um, trying to look almost at it from a paternity perspective, uh, you know, who, who was the daddy of these children, and, and I spent so much time, you know, she was involved, involved in prostitution, was Hosea the daddy or was Hosea not the daddy, and it finally came on, came on to me as I began to realize it wasn't the fact of whether or not Hosea was the father, it was the fact that, that his wife was unfaithful to him. She was unfaithful to him. Um, and can you just imagine how painful that would have been? Um, I want to divert just for a second, and I want to I want to look at God's heart for a minute, and show God's two responses to spiritual adultery because there are two responses. Um, 
And for those of you that are here today, um, that say you just don't, you just don't really care. Um, you just don't, you just don't really care how God feels. I want you to understand that God has tremendous feelings, and I want you to look at God's first response to spiritual adultery when we turn our backs and we walk away from God. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to understand this. Number one, that God has a very, very righteous anger. There's such thing as an unrighteous anger, but there's also such thing as a righteous anger, a right, a right anger. And this is God speaking of the people of Israel. He says this in Hosea chapter 2. I want you to skip over to that with me. Hosea chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, he says, she doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold. But she gave all my gifts to Baal. Everything that I'd given her, she'd given to Baal. But now I'll take back the ripened grain and the new wine and I will generously that I generously provided each harvest season. And I will take away the wool and the linen clothing I gave her to cover her nakedness. And I will strip her naked in public while her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. And the Lord God says, I want you to know that I am a jealous God and you should have no other gods before me. No gods, no idols. You're to worship me and me alone. And, and we see that God is good. And his intents are pure and his intents are righteous and they're holy. And God ex extends himself to us. And in the midst of that, we reject him. And it, it makes God angry. And it's like God says, you want to live without me? This is what he's saying to the Israelite people. You want to live without, without me? Go ahead. All the stuff that you had, all the provisions, all the protections, that, the things that I provided, your food, your drink, your clothing, not just the abundance not in the abundance, but those basic items needed for survival. I want you to understand all that stuff. I want you to. I want you to. Re, I want you to realize this. I'm going to remove that from you, and no one else will be able to replace my provision. Is what God says. No one will be able to rescue you. And I want you to look at what He says in verse verse 11 there in chapter two through 13. He says, "I will put an end to the annual festivals and her new moon celebrations and her Sabbath days and her appointed festivals." All those things that have been passed down to you, all those things that have been passed down to remind you of my faithfulness and my provision, the religious traditions and the ceremonies, God says, listen, I'm going to put an end to them because they're worthless. They're worthless. It's like those of us that, that go to church today and we just, we're doing church. And God says, listen, I want you to understand your, your commitment to me is worthless. It has no meaning, no meaning at all. Because that's not where your heart's at. You're going through the motions. And look at what he says in verse 12. I will destroy her grapevines and fig trees. Man, God's ticked off. The things that she claims her lover gave her, I will let them grow into tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat fruit. I mean, you can get a sense of God's anger here. And in verse 13, I will punish her for all the times she's burned incense in the images of Baal, when she put on earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me, says the Lord. The, the Israelite people had moved so far from God. All the things that God had provided, they had forgotten and given credit to Baal. All those things that God had provided, all of a sudden they had forgotten. And what began maybe as an unintentional disobedience in sin, all of a sudden became intentional. Because now her sin was intentional. She went out seeking. She put on her best. She put on her earrings and her jewels, and now she went out looking for lovers. We went from um, unintentional disobedience now to willful sin. 
what began as a mistake was now intentional. It's like in a marriage relationship where where adultery is, is has taken place and it's an oops. It was a mistake. And there's brokenness and there's a repentance. But then there's then there's adultery and then it's like, well, who cares? It's not that big a deal. And I'm going out tomorrow night and I'm going to find another one that I can sleep with. It had gone from a mistake to now it was an intentional action. And this was a statement to the nation of Israel, but this applies so much to us individually as well as in our marriage relationship. God says, you want to try to live without me? You want to do marriage without me? If that's what you want, listen, have at it. Have at it. And so God responds with this righteous anger. And then all of a sudden, it's like there's a switch that takes place. And God goes from this righteous anger to a second response to spiritual adultery, to that of being compassionate and unfailing love. And it's like, even though I've been hurt, and even though I've been wronged, and even though I've been betrayed, I will continue to pursue you. I want the Israelites to know that I'm not going to close my the door of, of my love on her for her. And as bad as she's hurt me, as bad as she has betrayed me, and as, as difficult as this has been, I'm going to continue to pursue her. And here's the shift. Verse 14. Look at what he says. But then I will win her back once again. And I'll lead her into the desert, and I'll speak tenderly to her there. And I'll return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble or the valley of Achor into a gateway of hope. The valley, that valley there, the valley of trouble was a place where Achan and his family in Joshua chapter 7 um, had been stoned and burned because of their sin. And God is saying this, I want you to understand, I will bring you into that desert place. And when I bring you into that desert place, I'm going to bring you there because there's not going to be any distractions. And in that desert place, you'll have no other place to look for provision except for me. You'll have no other place to go and look for, um, for provision except to me. And I'm going to bring you into that valley where you're going to cry out to me um, and you're going to be in that place that emotionally and physically, um, spiritually, where, you're going to, where I'm going to be able to speak to you clearly and you're going to listen to me. And I want you to know that um, that, that place that's been known for death and destruction, the valley of trouble, has the ability to be a place of hope depending on which way you turn. I want you to circle that word acor because that's exactly what that valley meant. It meant it meant trouble. And it very it very literally means the valley of trouble. And he says, God says, I'm going to make that valley of trouble into a door of hope. I will make the valley of, of trouble a door of hope. Um, you know, there's two really two basic ways to, to have a great marriage. Number one is do everything right and make no mistakes. No mistakes. And if you don't do that, you'll have a great marriage. But that's just really not probable, is it? And the second way to have a great marriage is this. Number two is to when you uh, is when you walk through that valley of Achor, that valley of trouble, to walk through that valley time together, understanding that um, that there are going to be times that you're going to make mistakes, and there are going to be times that you're going to mess up, and there are going to be times that you do stupid things, and but you just need to repent and turn and turn back to each other and turn back to God. Um, and in the midst of those valleys, understand that God's working on the rough edges, but if you'll seek the Lord and if you'll let Him conform your mind and your heart, that, that God's going He's going to perform a great miracle. And what would have been, could have been, should have been a valley of trouble, it will become a great, it will become a great way of hope. And the Lord said, Listen, if you'll just repent and turn back to me, 
And if you'll turn back to your spouse, when you walk through that valley of trouble together, when you do, you'll, you'll find it to be a door of hope. And that's so important for us today because so many times when we walk through those difficult times, which we are, every one of us are going to walk through those difficult times, so many times we see it as an ending. But God says, listen, it doesn't have to be an ending. It can be a beginning, a gateway to the doors of hope. Um, in those times of trials and desperation that you experience in the marriage or in life in general, they don't have to be a place of death. But it can be a place, of, it can be a place where you have an opportunity to, to, to reflect and refocus um, um, back on your relationship with God and be able to see, or, see God more clearly than ever before. Guys, listen, the best marriages are going to walk through difficult times. I mean, I've known relationships that have gone through betrayal and adultery and pornography and rejections and deceit. Um, but walking through those times together with God leading the way, those valleys of trouble, those valleys that have been known for death and destruction, has the ability to become a place of hope. But there's some of you guys that are here today that just look at, you look at me and you go, uh, you're married, and and uh, but the reality is is that you're in the midst of that valley right now. You're in the place of death. And man, you've all but given up. You've all but given up. And I just want you to know, but if you're willing to pursue the Lord together, you'll experience the gateway of, of hope. And some of you here, and you're saying, but you just don't understand, my spouse just isn't willing to walk with me. So you know what you do in that time? You just have to walk it alone. And the whole time that you're walking walking that path, you walk with your hand out waiting on your spouse to join you. And you never, never let go of God in the midst of that time. See, listen, it, when you walk through the Valley of Acor, it's not about saving your marriage, but it's about coming to learn to trust God. It's about putting God in that priority position. The truth is this. The fact is your spouse may walk out. But the truth is this, is that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Even in the valley of death, even the valley of trouble, even when it seems like a place of defeat and death, it has the ability to become a place of hope and transformation if you'll allow it. Because there's hope where there's God. And Hosea has, has done nothing. I mean, listen to this. He's done nothing but, but be faithful to his spouse. But his spouse has been anything but. But I want you to, to see what God says to him a little bit later on in the story because now Gomer's left him and and she's and, and he's shown his love to her again and again and again and his heart has been broken again and again and again. And here she is. She's standing back out on the street corner now. She's prostituting again. And you can only imagine, here's Hosea knowing what's going on. He sees what's going on. And God does something. And he gives a very, very clear and challenging message to Hosea. And I want you to hear what God says. And he summarizes it. And here's, and here's what he said. God says, I want you to do. I want you to forgive as I've, as I've forgiven you. And I want you to love as I've loved you. To which we go, forgive? You have got to be out of your mind. Give her a second chance? Uh-uh. I don't think so. I'm done. I'm done. I mean, that's what we would say. But look at what God says in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. And we say, wait a minute. I mean, how in the world is that possible? 
I mean, how in the world can I forgive somebody that's treated me so wrongly? How can I how can I love someone that has been so unfaithful? How can I bring myself to the place to be vulnerable again to someone that has betrayed my trust? And God says, I know it will be difficult, but I want you to be a billboard for me. I want you to show people, the other people of Israel, just the type of God that I am because I want your relationship with your wife to represent my relationship with Israel. And look at what God says in verse 1 continued. This will illustrate you going to her and, and you go get going, getting your wife again. This is what he says. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. God says, man, listen, love. Lovers, I'm loving you. Love as God loves us, even though we turn our back. Forgive the same way that he's willing to forgive us. This is so tough because the guarantee, well, there is no guarantee. There is no guarantee that the marriage will survive. Even if you forgive and love faithfully, there's no guarantee that your spouse won't hurt you or betray you again. Even though, even though we don't have a promise as to how things will turn out, God is so clear as how we should respond. He says, love is as I loved and forgive as you've been forgiven. And even though divorce is an option, is it the right option? Does it mean that you might not be hurt again? It doesn't mean that things are going to go smooth, but it does mean that regardless if your spouse is faithful or not, what I want you to do is I want you to obey me and I want you to leave all the consequences up to me. See, Hosea, what I want you to do is I want you to choose to do what's right. And like I said earlier, the hard part of this story is there are no guarantees. And I promise you this, you get your friends involved in your relationship when it's going this direction, and they're going to look at you and they're going to say, you're crazy for hanging around. Nobody deserves this type of punishment. But listen, this isn't about them. And it's not about what they think as they try to protect you. But this is about you standing before God and seeking to honor God and trusting Him in the valley of trouble. And all of this stuff brings up so so much so much emotion, doesn't it? Because we all have the ability to say, um, to say, but but you just don't know what I'm going through. Or you don't know what my friends grow going through. Or you don't know what I've been through. And some of you right now have been through divorce and you're thinking of all these different things. Listen, man, we can't go back and, and repeat the past. If, if there's been mistakes made in the past, you need to ask the Lord forgiveness. But this we're talking about now. Because I believe God is speaking to us right now. Um, there are those people, and every one of us are going to experience difficult times in marriage. Man, I live life just like you do. Meredith and I have difficult times. Um, we may not have faced some of the same issues that maybe some of you guys have faced, but we have walked through those valleys time and time again. But as we walk through those valleys together, we have always been able to discover and find that door of hope. This is what the end of the story looks like. God tells Hosea to go and pursue his immoral wife. And, and here's what he does to show his love again. He takes some of the money and he goes down and he buys her out of prostitution. I mean, she's standing on the street corner and he goes down and he purchases her back. She's standing in the brothel and he goes down and he buys her back. And he brings her home. I mean, isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard of? 
He goes down to the house of ill repute and he pays for his wife. And we look at that and it makes us angry to go, why in the world would you do that? Why would you extend yourself that way? Why would you be so vulnerable when there is no guarantee that she will love you back, or that she will come back and she'll be faithful until you come to the place, until you come to the place to understand that, man, that's exactly what God did for us. That here we are standing on the street corner and we're prostituting ourselves against God by worshiping other idols. Why? And the Bible says that while we were still sinners and while we were still standing on that, that street corner, Paul said Christ came and he died for the ungodly. Here it is, we're talking about Hosea taking his finances and, and going, what he has, his earnings, and he's talking about going and, and purchasing his wife back. But here's God saying to us, I want you to understand that that's exactly what I did. I purchased you back because I gave the highest price because I sent my son Jesus Christ to shed his blood to purchase you when you were standing on that corner. just so that we could understand the true extent of God's love. That while we were yet sinners, and that while we were yet running, that while we were still being unfaithful, that God still loved us. You know, I don't have a clue of how this marriage ended. There's no record of what she did. But how in the world could she walk away after she experienced the full extent of His love? That even though she did what she did, here it was that Hosea chose to obey God and pursue her. I mean, with that thought in mind, understanding that that is us standing on the street corner, how in the world could we not give our lives to Him completely? I mean, how could we not respond to God after knowing what God did for us through His Son, Jesus Christ? See, when you realize the extent of his love, the question is, how can you remain living in spiritual adultery? And Jesus says, I gave it all. And I gave it all for you because I wanted you. Not, not part of you. Not a portion of you. But I wanted all of you. And I wanted your heart. And I wanted your faithfulness. But before you can know him, you've got to understand your need for him. This is a video clip from the movie Fireproof. It's called The Cross. Ladies, you want to understand why you can't love your husbands like you should? It's because you can't give something that you don't have. Men, you want to know why you can't love your, your wives the way that she needs to be loved? It's because you haven't experienced God's unconditional love. It's impossible for us to give something that we've never experienced. Are you looking for hope in marriage? And listen, it's not found in another marriage class. It's not found in another counseling session, but it all comes when you view yourself in the right perspective. It's not about fixing your spouse, but it's about coming to realize your sinfulness and choosing to admit that sin and cry out to God to save you. We talk about salvation. I'm, really, I'm really reminded of two things. Number one, what is it I need to know and what is it I need to do? And it's all summed up in John 3.16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And what is it that I need to know? I need to know that, number one, that God loved me. 
He loved me deeply. And he loved me so much that he gave me something that only he could give. He gave his son Jesus Christ to purchase me, that prostitute standing on that, on that corner. And what is it I need to know that God loved and that God gave me his son? But what is it I need to do? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, whoever so believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is it I, I need to do? I need to believe. I need to believe that Jesus Christ was real and that 2,000 years ago he did die on a cross for me. And that not only believe that, but come to the place where I say, I not only believe that, but I want to receive that. I want to trust that. I'm not asking you about going to church. I'm not asking you about whether or not you've been baptized. But what I'm asking you is, have you come to the place in your life that you know without a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? God says, I want you to know that I love you. And I want you to know that I paid a high price for you while you were standing on that street corner. And he says, the only thing that you need to do is to believe it and to receive it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He chose to free us from the bondage of sin by sending his son Jesus. And he would suffer and he would die on a cross. Would you bow your heads with me today?